Welcome to the Stratcom Podcasts. I am your host, Kubra Akoc, a journalist at TRT World. Today, we are going to talk about digital diplomacy. Joining me now is Dr. Cornel Ubiola, who is an Associate Professor of Diplomatic Studies at the University of Oxford. Dr. Ubiola, thanks for your time and joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Ubiola, how do you describe digital diplomacy in the age of social media regarding like all this pandemic, digitization, got to a new level? How do you describe the digital diplomacy currently? So when we talk about digital diplomacy, there are successive waves or stages of digital diplomacy. Initially, we talked about digital diplomacy in the context of the use of social media. That was the first wave. So simply put, we can talk about digital diplomacy as diplomacy that's being used, the, the, the conduct of diplomacy through the means of social media. But we have to be aware of the fact that, you know, we, um, to a certain extent, we are well past the, that particular stage. So to the, when we think about what happened in 2010, 2011, after the Arab Spring, that was the, the stimulus. That was you know, the, the, the driver uh, for many ministries of foreign affairs to adopt uh, the new tools, which were in that case social media. But the second stage intervened 40 years later, about 2015, 2016, with the rise of the dark side. What I mean by the dark side is the use of fake news, the use of disinformation for achieving foreign policy objectives. This is when Ministry of Foreign Affairs discovered that actually it's not only uh, the, the social media can not only be used for engaging with foreign publics for public diplomacy purposes, but also that um, they need to adapt and to deal with the fact that there are, might, might be hostile attempts to uh, derail certain foreign policy objectives. So the second stage was mainly 2015, 2016, was mainly about how to deal with the dark side. This is when Ministry of Foreign Affairs started to develop strategic communication units. Exactly for this purpose, to deal with uh, counter disinformation. But now, as we see with the pandemic, there's been an explosion, the migration of Ministry of Foreign Affairs to a different type of medium. So not only social media, not only strategic communication, but we've seen the rise of um, virtual platforms like Zoom, like Teams. So we are now in the third stage where you know Ministry of Foreign Affairs started to use these kind of tools uh, virtual platforms in addition to social media, in addition to strategic communication strategies in order to achieve their foreign policy objectives. I will uh, also venture to myself to say that we are approaching the fourth stage, and the fourth stage is when a different, a new type of digital technology, we're talking about um, uh, artificial intelligence, we can talk about uh, more advanced forms of virtual engagement like multiverse. So we are approaching that stage as well. So digital technology is evolving and is evolving fast. And that I think is one of the um, critical challenges for Ministry of Foreign Affairs to keep up the pace of their adaptation to this uh, new transformation, digital transformation that we've seen in the past decade. Yes, I see you mentioned like a couple of important points here. And among the books you authored or, ed- or edited is Countering Online Propaganda and Violent Extremism, The Dark Side of Digital Diplomacy, right? It's called like that. Absolutely. This is um, what I uh, discovered, um, many ministers of foreign affairs discovered in the second stage, what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, there was this kind of enthusiasm for the use of social media as a result of the Arab Spring. But then in 2015, certain things happened. What uh, happened, it was Brexit, it was uh, U.S. elections. And when the, uh, the many uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs learned from that, the diplomat, that what happens online does not stay online. It goes offline and it can influence elections. It can influence referendum. Mm-hmm. It can uh, create internal dist- uh, uh, instability in the country. 
So mm -hmm. they said that we need to be able to think about how to counter this situation. Mm -hmm. So uh, at that stage, 2015, 2017, you've seen an explosion, especially in the context of uh, European MFAs, of explosion of uh, new units of strategic communication uh, being developed. And the point for that was twofold. One was to monitor what exactly is happening online. Who is promoting these narratives? Uh, who are the influencers? Uh, what are the narratives? And the narratives are quite, um, are quite uh, the, the number of them is, is quite uh, uh, significant. So the problem, the second problem for them is how to react. You cannot react to everything. So the issue for many, it was to identify those narratives that could be the most damaging. So the first stage was basically of the strategic communication units is after monitoring, after doing, you know, the, the ranking and also the, the selection is how to counter them. And there are various uh, approaches. Um, initially, there was the idea of debunking. We have to debunk these stories. We have to tell the truth. But debunking comes with uh, certain limitations because sometimes it reinforces a very narrative that you try to debunk. Mm -hmm. uh, a more uh, a different approach that was embraced by uh, European countries and the European Union was to build resilience. Mm -hmm. The idea being, okay, we cannot debunk everything, but maybe we can prepare the public not to be so gullible, not mm -hmm. to be so easy to influence. Mm -hmm. So by exposing patterns of the ways in which um, uh, disinformation is being used. Mm -hmm. um, so um, various countries embrace this idea, and now they are looking at uh, developing capacities to build this resilience. Mm -hmm. And that I think it's an interesting transformation and challenge that we've seen in the European context. Yeah, exactly. I was about to ask that, like, how do you see, how do you see things are going, like countries or just companies, private companies, uh, how they are countering this online propaganda or, you know, disinformation. So you see in the European context, you mentioned a good point here. So about this third stage, so Zoom, then like Zoom become, you know, widespread. And in fact, we are also doing this recording on Zoom as well. You know, many people started to speculate about, okay, they are stealing your information. They are stealing your facial, you know, uh, you know, uh, facial identity, everything. So don't open your camera, that kind of stuff. Then I think we just searched for the facts and started to use the application. So when like, each time when a new app like Zoom or a new website or new something, online digital something, uh, revealed, is it normal that people are afraid of, you know, uh, to use it? Like, what if, if they're stealing our information? What if, if they're hacking us? What if, if they're, you know, monitoring our camera when we are at home just doing our leisure time? Uh, you are right. When the Ministry of Foreign Affairs at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020 started to uh, migrate on, on to Zoom uh, and to a certain extent to Teams, mm -hmm. a lot of concerns exactly about the facts that you mentioned. To what extent this kind of communication is secure for diplomacy? Yeah. A lot of discussions are confidential. So you want to be able to be um, uh, to be able to communicate with confidence that the type of, of details that you share with the other parts are not are not listed in you know by uh, by hostile uh, parties. So indeed you know there was a concern, and we have to keep in mind these platforms are developed by private companies, right? They are not developed by Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So they lost. They have to operate in a medium. Mm -hmm. in which uh, which is not theirs, right? When, when uh, they, they meet in Geneva, face-to-face, -face, they mm -hmm. can control the environment. But on mm -hmm. Zoom, on Teams, it's a bit more difficult. Yeah. So I was curious about it, uh, about this myself. So we, with a colleague of mine, uh, we um, have done a survey. We um, sent, a number of, uh, sent a number of questions to about 100 diplomats, asking them, how do they see 
the use of Zoom in their activity. To what extent do they see, the, or Zoom or Teams, virtual platform thing more general, to what mm -hmm. extent do they see that as useful in their activity, or to what extent do they see that as being, uh, that they may, may think that they can be used at the end of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the result was surprisingly positive, but with a nuance. They said that for many operational meetings, like, you know, internal meeting, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, yeah. it can speed up, you know, a number of uh, uh, activities that they do. It was also embraced by countries that um, cannot afford to travel much, going to multilateral meetings. So they appreciated the fact that can attend two or three meetings in real time with less, uh, in a more convenient fashion. But we have also, um, the, the, the resistance was, to what extent this kind of platform can be used for high-level negotiation. And this is where they try to draw the line, exactly for the reason that they said, that if you want to prepare meetings, like for G20s, that's totally fine. But if you want to discuss more sensitive issues, then you know, in-person meetings might be necessary. And this is why I came up with this new concept that I thought uh, that I think it's, it's, it's going to, in which digital diplomacy is going to evolve, which is called hybrid diplomacy. Some mm. of the things are done online, some of the things are done offline. And, and then there is a combination of both. And like hybrid education model as well, I think Turkey is also using it a lot at the universities and the uh, colleges as well. So, 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 virtual, so the use of virtual platform is here to stay. From all mm -hmm. the interviews I've done with diplomats, they appreciate the convenience of being able to attend multiple meetings. Yeah. But where the situation may change is that mm -hmm. uh, high-level negotiations, sensitive negotiations, it's assumed that you, know, you can do it better in person. Not mm -hmm. only because of the confidentiality uh, factor, but also yeah. the, the fact that in a person face-to-face -face meeting, you have more room to build a trust, uh, or, uh, a trusted relationship with the other parties, and you are able to read the room. So they think that negotiation face to face is better in terms of being able to uh, uh, to to lead to better results than um, uh, than the, the the Zoom or the uh, the virtual type of engagement. Yeah, for sure, exactly. I agree. And uh, lastly, you said like uh, stage four, the last stage is artificial intelligence. So, like people again were like were afraid of like robots taking over in the future. Like, should be scared, should be afraid of it. Like, how does artificial intelligence be involved in this digital diplomacy processes or institutions? How do you see it's coming? Um, indeed, um, uh, several ministries of foreign affairs, especially in Europe, but not only United States and China, are also mm -hmm. trying to look into this issue um, with uh, with uh, with a lot of interest, I should say. For, a, for a several reasons. One is the amount of information that they have to monitor and to distill in order to, uh, to make um, sense of the, of the signals that are there in the digital data. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, for instance, think about consular affairs as it happened during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Many requests done about travel restriction, people trying to uh, find out what happens and whether they can uh, travel to this place or that place. Mm -hmm. So on the consular affairs, uh, we've seen the rise of, uh, of chatbots, AI-powered chatbots, mm -hmm. that can actually engage with the public and, 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 and um, uh, respond to their request. Um, and I think from this point of view, the consular affairs uh, represents a, a low-hanging fruit for, for, uh, for digital diplomacy and the use of AI. But in this kind of context, you know, low-scale AI virtual chatbots. We've seen this, uh, the same interest, uh, greater interest uh, also about the use of AI, and this is interesting, in international negotiations. Mm -hmm. 
I participated in some of the simulations that were uh, trying to look to what extent AI can improve the negotiation process, to what extent AI can identify relevant stakeholders, to what extent AI can identify possible negotiation breakthroughs. And that I think is interesting. And it comes on, on the back of this fascinating uh, breakthrough that was achieved by IBM in 2018. It was presented at Davos. It was a trade assistant, first AI prototype that can assist international negotiate, uh, negotiators. We also have to be careful not to hide the idea of AI too much, because at the moment, AI is still you know, in the process of being developed. But nevertheless, this is something in which Ministry of Foreign Affairs have uh, developed a strong interest. The race at the moment is between the United States, more generally speaking about AI, and China. And China, for instance, has uh, mentioned the idea that you know, they prefer to develop an AI capacity to be able to understand where it's better to invest, to make investment in the Belt and Road countries. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's a lot of development. Probably in a few years, we're going to get a clearer picture of how this uh, fourth stage that I mentioned is going to develop. But the promise is there, and I think you know AI could be a game changer for many ministries of foreign affairs. It's also more sophisticated. You have to comparing with social media. This mm-hmm. is a totally different type of game because you need capacity and you need people with strong expertise. It's one thing when you try to to send a tweet or to counter this information. It's another thing when you try to develop AI capacity that can actually assist you with international negotiations. But things are evolving slowly in that direction. All right, I see. Dr. Viola, interesting times ahead. Thanks very much for doing this. Thanks for your time. Thank you again for having me.